Welcome to So You Want to Be a Witch, the podcast for soul-centered entrepreneurs and the people who love them. Welcome back to So You Want to Be a Witch. I am your host, Sarah M. Chappell, and uh, we are here today with two very special guests who have a brand new witchcraft podcast that I'm so excited about. It's made my, my voice go high, and uh, you guys can't see my body, but I am like gesticulating wildly, Britton Boyd and Jay Allen Cross. Britton is a practicing witch. Yeah, no shit. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> that's the, the biggest understatement of the year who uh, works in Oregon. You can find everything that Britain does over at Archaic Honey. Jane Allen Cross is also a practicing witch. I feel like I'm sensing a trend today of Mexican, Native American, European descent whose craft was shaped by his Catholic upbringing and mixed family culture. I would love to talk about Catholic witchcraft all day long. Let's see, I'm like totally skipping around in my enthusiasm. Britain and working as a full-time witch, providing tarot readings, bone readings, facilitating learning space for new and seasons, which is alike through their course Praxis of the Witch, which is amazing if you haven't checked it out. And uh, Jay Allen works as a psychic medium and occult specialist and when not investigating, provides spells and potions to his local community, exploring haunted and abandoned places. You guys do all sorts of fun stuff, don't you? I feel like I feel like I wish we were having an in-person party and we could go do something really creepy, but I guess we could probably do something plenty creepy just here right now. Thank you both. Oh, the podcast is called Invoking Witchcraft. I'm doing a great job of my intro, but I feel like we can just like ride the hype energy and we'll talk more about that. Hi, y'all. Thank you so much for being here today. Who are you and what do you do? Thank you so much for having us, Sarah. Um, I am Joshua, also known as J. Allen Cross. I kind of specialize in American folk magic, specifically in the American Southwest. So I do kind of what we call American Brujeria, which is this Mexican-American folk magic is kind of what I specialize in. And when I'm not doing that, I am doing paranormal investigation in my spare time, if I have any. That sounds awesome. Busy, busy witches. My name is Britton Boyd. I'm also at Archaic Honey on Instagram. And I am a full-time witch. I kind of am a multi-passionate witch. And I make herbal products. I make anointing oils. I teach folks witchcraft. I spend a lot of time in the mountains and the hills here in Northeastern Oregon, just hunting plants and digging into the ecology of my local landscape. That's what I do with a very, very cute dog. She is wonderful. The sweetest doggo. I mean, is is the twin of my dog. They're dog twins. Yes, they are dog twins. It's kind of scary. That maybe is my favorite interaction with Britain is when I post a picture of my dog and Britain says, why do you have a picture of my dog and vice versa? So. Yes. They look that much alike. (laughs) They do. They do. Yeah. Separated at birth. Aww. Okay, so here we are. We're all working witches. And one of the things we want to talk about uh, in probably two perspectives is this idea of, of working, as in witchcraft is work. And we also, <laughs> we, we, we do work as witches. So first up, um, what does it mean to you to say that like witchcraft requires work? It's not like just posting pictures of the moon on Instagram, question mark? Hmm. I feel it goes beyond just cool. I mean, aesthetics are very important, but witchcraft requires that you be engaged in movement with the landscape. That's just my humble opinion and connecting with local spirits. Absolutely. I think that we're sort of in a day and age where everything is trying to be pared down to the fastest version it can be, you know. I I vacillate between calling it the easy bake coven or the get witch quick, but there's a sort of this idea that 
you know, magic has no rules. Magic, you know, is super simple and you can be a witch just by declaring you are one without any sort of foundational skills or knowledge. This creates a notion that witchcraft is not only really super easy, but also that it's, um, that it's very safe and that nothing bad can happen to you in witchcraft. And that's something that's concerning on occasion because witchcraft is not safe. No matter what this person on Instagram told you, there are always things that can go wrong, things you can mix up entities you can come across that you're not ready for. So I think it's important to talk about witchcraft in a very realistic way. That it's not all glitter and light and love. There are, there's some darkness to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't become a witch by buying the Insta Witch Kit at Walmart, which <laughs> okay. they do have those, by the way. Well, before we go any further, um, I trust that Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast, is going to have merchandise and that is going to include the Easy Bake Coven like t-shirt, right? Oh, yeah. And our running slogan, pee on it. Absolutely. Because witchcraft, you know, in in the podcast that we're doing, the Invoking Witchcraft, we're very much into some really down-home folk magic and really getting your hands dirty, really going in there and doing the work. And so things that we come up in our podcast a lot are, you know, peeing on things, peeing in things in the name of witchcraft, roadkill, Mm -hmm. um, things like that. I have an animal part sitting next to me right now, unfortunately, (laughs) but as you do. So, uh, I was like, do I have any animal parts? Am I a real <laughs> witch? I don't right now. Oh, oh, no. They're in the other room. Let's go a little bit, like, I love, like, this idea. because This is one of my favorite topics, and I want to hear both of you speak on this. So, witchcraft isn't safe. I feel like that is, like, flies in the face of so much of what is being kind of, like, culturally prioritized probably in our um but I imagine are the overlapping spaces that that the three of us inhabit online. There's a big um, sense of prioritizing safety. There's also a lot of ways where rich witchcraft is being presented as, as you said, yes, the love and light thing, but like as like more of a, an aesthetic or like a self-declaration, an identity that can be claimed because of an affinity to being othered, perhaps. Witchcraft isn't safe. What does that mean for you guys? I feel that witchcraft is dealing in raw power and it can invite in a lot of cataclysmic change into your life. So when you take on that title, you're really opening yourself up to a realm of like spirit, spirit interaction, and also interaction with other practitioners, which can get tricky. And I don't really have any other eloquent ways to put it, I feel, but it's just kind of simply put when you enter into that realm and take that first initiatory step, you are opening yourself up to greater forces. And yeah. And those forces will definitely take notice of you and come sniffing around. And a lot of the paranormal work that I do, um, I specialize in the team, not only as psychic medium and occult specialist, but what I kind of do for the team is negative entity removal, which means when there is something that, you know, modern day ghost shows would call a demon, quote unquote, um, in the home, they call me to remove it. And a large percentage of the time um, I walk into a home and it's very easy to sniff it out. There's a very specific stink that comes with it. And I go, so who in the home is practicing witchcraft? And there's always one person that's like, well, I I guess that would be me. And I'm like, so what exactly is it that you're doing? Like, what are you practicing? They're like, oh, you know, just like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. You know, I'm, I'm just, you know, manifesting some abundance and um, calling upon some, 
you know, deity is on the other side and they clearly have no idea what they're doing. And now their house and their family is just haunted all the shit. And that's something that's very common when it comes to this work. People diving into it without really knowing what's going on, without learning their foundational skills first. And right now it's, it's hard because recently capitalism has kind of joined the world of witchcraft. Now there's money to be made which now means that that changes a lot of the rules. You know, a long time ago, we didn't have so many things like, you know, witchcraft is everybody's birthright. That's fairly new because you get to sell more things if everybody is on board with it, right? And also it's easy and it's safe because people will buy things if you tell them that. And so that's where we get all of these kind of new slogans that there are no rules, you know, just buy the thing and you can totally do it. And that's when we kind of see a lot of this new information showing up. And unfortunately, those new sayings don't fit with kind of the rules that we've always known. Things like, you know, there are definitely rules, like don't summon something that you can't banish. Or, you know, if you promise a spirit something, you need to deliver. And people aren't realizing that or following it. I'd love to hear more about the, the rules, because I think like that's something I definitely hear a lot of people being like, yeah, there's no rules. Just do what feels good. Like it's this very like uh, <laughs> it's this very um, I mean, it sounds very sweet, I guess. What do you guys see as being I don't know if there's like some foundational rules or concepts, but also like this idea of like, why are we so anti rules? <laughs> Because I think that's there's like this like interesting like reactionary thing where people like don't want to engage with something that actually does have structure, even if it is a a bit of a a, a funky structure that we don't kind of like talk about in a larger way. I think witchcraft inherently has a rebellious spirit within it. So I think that folks very often, you know, they're trying to like step away from like just myself, for example, their strict Christian upbringing and wanting to rebel against that. So I think that's perhaps maybe where the whole like veering away from rules or foundational practices and things like that come from. Absolutely. No, yeah, I would agree with that because what I hear a lot is people who, you know, have a, some sort of a traumatic Christian upbringing and therefore they run to witchcraft thinking that it's going to be the exact opposite of of any sort of standard religion. You hear a lot of people saying like, well, I don't want any dogma or anything like that, which so people inadvertently believe that witchcraft is there to be the exact opposite of any sort of standard religion. And it's really not. We actually have a lot more in common with them than people would like to think. But that's something that people don't understand so much. So they, they run away from that thinking that they'll find an entirely different world over here where they can do anything. And unfortunately, our world still has consequences. Mm -hmm. And when you look back into the history of witchcraft, it's intimately tied to Christianity. Yeah, that's something that we talk mm -hmm. about a lot on the podcast. And we're sort of hoping to open the witchcraft community up to is the idea that Christianity is actually alive and well within our communities and actually always has been tied to it, or at least present. Yeah, and when you look back at old witchcraft trial records, you know, they were using the name of God. They were still Christians and also practicing witchcraft alongside that. And like, that's where a majority of our information comes from it, with witchcraft practices are from old trial records. So we have to remember our roots and where we're coming from. Like, let's talk about this, because I think that this is one of the more fascinating topics that people yeah, do not want to look at. Um, so... <laughs> 
And I say that as I'm like, I was, I felt very similarly initially. I was like, I like, I was like, I'm over here. I'm, I'm doing witchcraft and that has nothing to do with it. And I was like, why? I was like, but I was like, but, but the devil and wait, there's like all this other stuff and it's all Christian imagery. And I don't understand. And my brain was like, no, until I was like, Ooh, this is absolutely fascinating. And now my, my favorite area to like study and think about. So what is this relationship between witchcraft and Christianity? You know, Christianity has been around for a really long time. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of people like to talk about it, like we invented it 20 minutes ago, um, but that was actually Wicca. Um, so <laughs> Christianity has been around here for a long, long time. And this includes through most of the witch trials, things like that. If we look back at these people who were doing quote unquote witchcraft, they were people who were also in church every Sunday. And we also look at words like witch and that word has always been kind of a loaded term. And in fact, it's always kind of been um, like, a, like a derogatory term that we've sort of reclaimed recently. So like way back in the day when these witch trials were going on, we've always had kind of people who did the good magics. And then we had people who did the bad magics. And the bad magics were the ones that we were kind of talking about when we were saying witches and witchcraft. And then we had other people who were like cunning folk and midwives and things like that who practiced a very different type of magic, even though it's all technically what we call today witchcraft. When we were talking about it back then, we were specifically pointing out a lot of the bad stuff. But unfortunately, back then, we didn't have a lot of filter for that. So it all just kind of ended up being put into one pile, um, unfortunately. But witchcraft has always kind of been involved in some way or another or entangled with Christianity. I mean, we look at a lot of our high ceremonial magics, things like the Kabbalah, that's all very Judeo-Christian. Um, which is important for us to talk about. Not only that, but a lot of our folk magic, whether it's hoodoo or the type of, you know, Mexican folk magic that I do, it's a lot of Bible work. It's a lot of Christianity. It's a lot of saints. Italian folk magic is the same way. So to say that these worlds are completely divorced of one another is inaccurate. You, I guess it's mentioned in your bio, in your bio, Jay, that this is like part of what your work emerges from is your, your history and background in being raised in Catholicism, if I'm remembering correctly. And then Britain, I'd love to talk for you to talk that as well, because you also have like a religious upbringing that you were raised in. What has it been like to kind of kind of become an adult and merge into witchcraft? Because we can maybe we can do our witchcraft origin stories and and to and to and to start to reconcile these pieces together. Because I think for a lot of folks, the idea that there is something to be kind of learned or gained or like recognizing that these are two kind of like not just parallel but entwined paths at least for the past 2000 years as you said it wasn't 20 minutes ago it's been it's been a while but that that sounds challenging so maybe we can talk a bit about what that that kind of interweaving has looked like mm. yeah i guess kind of going back to origin stories i think i'm still reconciling everything so that's an ongoing forever lifelong process but one thing that stands out for me when witchcraft like hit me was when I was uh, probably 12 years old, I was in Bible study with my family. I was homeschooled. So we were having Bible study one morning and my father asked me how I would react to a situation with my future husband, my supposed future husband. <laughs> I don't remember what my response was, but my father got very angry at me and it must've been something where I had said that I would manipulate the situation or something like that. And my dad looked at me and he pointed his finger right at my heart. And he says, that is witchcraft. 
And this something in me at that point bloomed. <laughs> it was beautiful. It was a very frightening moment, but I felt like a surge of power come through my body. And, you know, it wasn't years, it was like decades later until like I finally stepped into the path of witchcraft fully. But, you know, I don't, I still hold my Christian upbringing as an integral part of my own witchcraft, like looking at the devil and, you know, I still pray to God and whatnot. And I think that that's still possible while still being like a, a dirty ditch witch. <laughs> a heretic. Heretic. Yes. Heresy. Yeah. For me, it was, um, it really wasn't that big of a leap. Cause you know, I'm standing there in robes next to a priest at an altar and he is serving up flesh and blood to the congregation around him and lighting candles and burning incense. And that was Catholicism. That wasn't even the witchcraft part of it. So for me, the, the leap is not that big between Catholicism and witchcraft. It's a lot of the time, it's a matter of language. And a lot of the times between Christianity and, you know, folk magic or witchcraft or things like that, I, I find that language is, a, is the biggest barrier. Because when I go to church and I see somebody, you know, especially growing up as a Mexican Catholic person, that's a little different than your mainstream. But, you know, people go into church and they light a candle and they ask God for a favor. And then I moved on over to witchcraft and they told me to do the exact same thing. Sometimes we called the God something different, but essentially the process itself is still the same. So we have a lot more in common than people really realize when it comes to this. Mm-hmm. That reminds me, like also growing up, I always forget this. I think a lot of the times we tend to forget the magic that we experienced in our childhood. And I grew up in a kind of, um, gosh, I don't even know what branch of Christianity it might have been, but it was very evangelical. Um, like folks would speak in tongues and become, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit, thrashing on the ground and whatnot. But at my old church that I grew up with, um, there were hoodoo ladies, like conjure ladies that would work magic in the church, like on the hush hush, you know, it was kind of like, you weren't really supposed to talk about it, but everybody knew. And I had an art tutor because I was homeschooled. My mom sent me to like this uh, lady at the church who taught me art and whatnot. Um, she had kind of a nemesis lady at the church who she referred to as Miss Crystal Ball. And it didn't hit me until years later. I was like, Miss Crystal Ball was a witch. <laughs> I, <laughs> that sounds like fun, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> I was raised in um, a Presbyterian church and Presbyterians, I'm going to make broad generalizations, don't have a lot of fun. There is not a lot of magic left in the Presbyterian church, in my humble opinion. But I think it's what drove me to witchcraft so early. I was like, there's no there there. I'm sorry if anyone listening is deeply devoted to their Presbyterian lineage. Um, but I was like, there's no, probably not. <laughs> there was like, there's no there there. And it wasn't until I was in my twenties, I was dating somebody. Um, we started going to a, um, an Episcopalian church. And I finally got like some smells and bells for the first time in my life. And I was like, I was like, are y'all witches? <laughs> <laughs> and so when you're talking, you know, I mean, both on both sides, like on the evangelical side, speaking in tongues, being filled with the Holy spirit, um, I'm sorry, what? And then Catholics, like like devotions, saints, smells and bells, 
robes, and yes, the flesh and blood of God. Y'all, I it's it blew my mind as someone raised it. Like, I mean, we Presbyterians don't even really practice communion. Like it's like once a month, kind of not that big a deal. So when I like was introduced to Catholicism, which was only really a few years ago, I was like, oh, I was like, this is this is the stuff. Like there's like, it's here. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. And people forget too, that if you actually read the Bible and not just hear about it from mainstream Christian people in the United States, if you actually read it, there is more magic and witchcraft in that thing than a Tolkien novel, like right. from the very beginning. And also, can we talk about like the first page of Genesis? It's so witchy. They talk about astrology. God refers to itself in plural in both the masculine and the feminine. Like it, it's very, very pagan. Very. And you can also find recipes for oils and incense yeah. in the Bible as well. Like there's recipes in there. It's a spell book. <laughs> it's a spell book. This makes me so happy because I think one of the really cool things about so much of witchcraft is this like syncretic nature, right? That it's like, you know, there's all these different pieces that if they feel, if they're true to, to the work or to the rules or to the spirits you're working with, like that there, these relationships can develop and it there, that's where we kind of get to break out of that dogma in a way that isn't about um, ignoring the rules of the universe and the work, but rather that like, like there's, there's, things here in our lineages that that are that are magic if we want to work with them absolutely um one interesting book that i did come across is sister carol's book of blessing spells and folk magic it's a uh it's a witchcraft book it's a it's a spell book written by a nun and it's one of my most favorite things ever i highly recommend it to anybody sister carol the the witch the witch nun it's and she has a great kind of way of explaining it basically the same thing she's like turns out it's the same thing we've been doing for years they just call it folk magic so here we go (laughs) so we have the work of witchcraft right which is not just um yeah it takes work you have to do stuff engage yeah you know have relationships and yes if you tell a spirit you're going to do something you should probably do it i think if like that's like it's maybe our our witchcraft 101 (laughs) like lesson here don't lie to spirits well, unless you're being tricksy. But um, we also all work as witches, which is kind of a weird, it's a little bit of a weird job. It is. <laughs> what does that mean to you guys? <laughs> you're working witches. Like, what What do you do all day? <laughs> what do I do all day? I wonder that myself. <laughs> it was a goal of mine when I first got into witchcraft. I was like, I want to be a full-time professional witch. And I had no idea what that was going to look like. And then one day, yeah, I kind of like woke up and I was like, holy shit, I'm doing this full time. But my day is usually centered around sending and receiving emails and working on social media, but also, you know, lighting candles in the morning and incense and being in prayer. And that was what I wanted. I wanted to live and breathe witchcraft and my practice every single day. So the only way for me to have, to be able to do that is to like make it my job. Absolutely. Yeah, when I was in uh, fifth grade, <laughs> we were supposed to do a project where we um, kind of talked about what it is that we wanted to do when we grow up. 
And I wrote that I wanted to be a professional witch and that I wanted to do things like, um, you know, take evil spirits out of people's houses, things like that. My teacher made me redo it because she said I wasn't taking it seriously. (laughs) Jokes on her. uh, That's exactly what I'm doing now. Yeah, so being a professional witch, it's very much like what Britta was talking about. It's a lot of email. It's a lot of social media. I did not expect that, like, when I became a a, a professional witch, that it would be about 10% spells and 90% teaching people how to use Instagram. Because I get a lot of people being like, I'll share a post and they'll be like, can you tell me about this? I'm like, well, like the post has all the information. They don't know you're supposed to click it though. And then it will take you there. So it's a lot more tech support than I was expecting. Um, but otherwise it's, it's wonderful. I do like it. I, I'm trying to work into being more community-based and have like more people from my community come to me for that. But as soon as I went pro or professional as a witch, it, COVID hit and now you can't do that anymore. So unfortunately, but I am, uh, I'm very grateful for my online community that I get to actually do this work for. So emails basically. A lot. Tech support. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds accurate. And also holding space for people on the internet because it is COVID times and you know, you can't like do one-on-one work with folks, uh, IRL. Um, but it, yeah, sometimes you get those uh, crazy long emails where somebody's pouring out their life story and holding space for them and like listening and supporting them and whatnot. Um, that's another thing that I didn't quite expect when I went full time. I w- didn't expect to receive those kinds of like emails where folks are just like, help, yeah. <laughs> like I'm here for you. So, yeah, you have to be in service. Mm-hmm. I have to always be ready to receive those um, Mm -hmm. because they do come. And sometimes too, they are um, a little boggling for like, how am I even going to help this person? And then of course we need to then take into account things like, you know, what is the scope of our work? Because right now, especially in modern witchcraft, there is a lot of crossover um, that shouldn't necessarily be happening between witchcraft and things like self-care or mental health or self-help, um, things like that. So a lot of people right now, the, the number one thing I get requests for is people looking for spells that get rid of their trauma. And so being able to have open conversations with people about, you know, what it is that you are capable of doing or what is actually a good idea for you even to attempt at that point um, versus steering them towards other things um, and knowing when to make that call is really important. Mm, yeah. Discernment is key. Mm-hmm. We don't have like a, uh, like an ethics board to help with that. No, we don't. <laughs> We probably should, but we don't. (laughs) Yeah. It's the wild, wild west. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about spells. What are spells? Good question. That is a great question. (laughs) Uh, Because people get really mad at you when you're trying to find such things. I'm okay with people being mad at at us. I'll speak uh, on behalf of all of us. Come, be mad. No. Um, um, Yeah, I'm curious. Because when you say that people are like, I want a spell to get rid of my trauma. I mean, there's so much wrapped up in there in terms of like the cultural moment, the the desperation, which I think is a lot of those emails too, that like when they show up and people are just like in so much pain and don't know where to turn and then, but they want a spell for it. And I'm like curious, like for you guys, like what does like a spell mean and how that might be different than what people are assuming or thinking or um, what the cultural kind of like uh, 
like vision of a, of a spell is, which just to me comes back to probably Samantha and bewitched twitching her nose, but, um, Mm. Jay, I'm going to let you take that one because you are the spell master, but off the bat, to me, a spell is utilizing what you have on hand. And like, if you have a need, um, and it's also the force of your will and utilizing what you have around you to kind of like put something out into the universe or into the realm of spirit, uh, to be able to receive something. I don't know if that makes sense. It's yes. really hard to, de to define. It's really hard to define witchcraft, and it's also hard to define what a spell is. When we cast a spell, we are either moving energy or expressing energy. And we are then taking that energy and shaping it into something that we want using will and intention. And once we have that shaped the way that it needs to be, we then have to get it over to spirit. So, okay, not to go too weird here, but when, when we're working with spirit, right, we are, we are on one side of the veil and they're on the other side, right? So we are essentially trying to communicate with them through a placenta. That is why when we have hauntings and things like that, we don't just see, you know, like a soldier walking around our house 24 seven, right? We only get glimpses of them or sounds of them at, or they might, you know, do something in the home, which is them kind of pushing against that placenta. So we have this barrier between us. And so when we do witchcraft and when we cast a spell, we are moving that energy. We are shaping that energy into what it is that we want and then finding a way to get it into the hands of spirit through that veil, which is not always as easy as people think that it is because once, because without actually handing it off to spirit for it to be taken somewhere, whether that spirit is a saint or God or a demon or whatever it is that we are handing the ball off to essentially, that's that's the major part of it is that communion with something on the other side that is going to carry this package that you have created um to where it needs to go in order to be manifested and so we have different portals to kind of drop these packages off through whether it's an altar or a crossroads or things like that but a spell essentially is um you kind of shaping this little creature and then handing it off to somebody it's a little bit like um like giving birth, I want to say, but that seems like a weird comparison. <laughs> You're creating something. Mm, yeah, I think also a part of that is meeting spirit halfway and putting yourself in the way of making that magic work. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like if you need to make more money, um, then you would want to do things to put yourself in the way of making more money, like looking for more clients or things like that. Like you don't want to bury your head in the sand and just hope it's going to fall in your lap. I think that's my favorite manifestation thing, that idea that you can just sit there and close your eyes and like have a car appear in your like in your driveway. And like I'm sure like that that has happened for people, but it's it's extremely unlikely in a realm of unlikely things already. And it's helpful probably if you like go to the car dealership. Right. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I had a funny experience. Uh I was trying to sell my Subaru and I was like, I really wanted to sell it to good people because I had like an attachment to the car and it was I don't know this is like a funny example and I needed the money as well to like sell it so randomly one day 
a guy like parks behind my Subaru in the front of my house. He was like, I was just on my way to go look at another car. He's like, I literally wanted to buy a $2,000 Subaru. He's like, here's my $2,000 Subaru. And then we started trading herbal medicine. (gasps) And then he's like, hey, you want to do a DMT Reiki session with me? (laughs) I was like, "Uh, probably not. But... (laughs) (laughs) And it just really worked out for the both of us. So it was like, and I did a little magic around that. And I was like, perfect buyer. Like, and I was the perfect seller for him. So yeah, I don't know. Funny story, whatever. I love that. I love that. Makes me so happy. (laughs) Unlikely does not mean impossible. I want to come back to what you, some of you guys mentioned at the very beginning, which I think is an important topic for us to discuss. And that's pee. So what's up with peeing on stuff? Yeah, it's. It's really important. It's so important. And I will tell you, it will work way better than any amount of glitter that you're going to sprinkle on something. We are in this kind of day and age right now where, of course, it's it's part of that, you know, easy bake coven sort of thing where um, everything is very sanitized. Everything is very, um, in a way, neutered. You know, everything is now love and light and squishy and candles full of glitter and stuff. And But back in the day, nobody was using glitter. People were peeing in jars. They were using rusty nails. They were pulling roadkill up off of the side of the road. And, you know, we need to make space for, of course, everyone is going to be working differently, but we also have to understand that there is a long-standing tradition. And if you are going to sign up for something like witchcraft, then you may want to follow it. it. It would be like being like, I'm joining the swim team and none of us are getting in the pool. Right. Like you, you need to be able to get wet. You need to dive into the pool. Right. If we're going to sign up for witchcraft, you may have to pee in in a jar on something, maybe on someone, but gets consent, you know, whatever you need to do. Yep. There might be blood. Yeah, there might be blood. There might be toenails. There might be a little dash of roadkill in there. Uh, like, yes. <laughs> and also... Well, let's but like let's peel a couple layers back though too. You know why are we like why are we using urine? Like I mean, as yes, there was no glitter. Um, no, I don't know. Mica's been around. Maybe there was probably some like someone was like powdering up some mica and like dressing a a beeswax candle. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um. Sure. Um. That that was the they didn't have Instagram, but they still like had like you know the the aesthetics. Like I'm the kind of witch with the mica candle. Um. But when we're kind of looking at these, like this kind of like this, this, this subversive, you guys mentioned heretical earlier, like kind of um, witchcraft has this like dark underbelly vibe. If we're willing to, to look at it, what is the role of that? Like, why does that matter to be like peeing on stuff? It's a potent, powerful substance that comes from the body. And I think uh, witchcraft is of the body. So I think that that's an important thing to remember is like, also not to be afraid of your body mm-hmm. and not to be afraid of your own effluvia, like work with it. It's powerful stuff. Like a spell will probably be more successful if you're using personal concerns. I'll just use that word instead than say um, a bunch of junk that you buy on the internet. Not that there's anything wrong with buying junk on the internet, but that personal bodily fluid is just packs a punch. I don't even know why mm-hmm. or what the like beyond just like it being like a force from your body. 
I don't, wouldn't know how else to describe it. Mm-hmm. Maybe Jay can do that. I think that there is something very powerful about sacrificing our personal comfort in order to get something done. Because in this day and age, we really like to get what we want, but we don't want to give anything up in order to do that. We don't want to be made uncomfortable ever. And I think that's why it's so important that we still embrace these things because witchcraft is about facing fears. Witchcraft is about going strangely into the dark forest at night in order to learn something or gain something that other people don't have because we were brave enough to go there. And so when it comes to things like using urine, using blood, and there is also a difference between using blood that is freely given, you know, by, you know, when, when people menstruate, that blood that is kind of naturally occurring versus when you actually slice into your skin. There is a difference between that kind of blood because we have to overcome something. We have to overcome our, our innate animal instincts of self-preservation in order to gain something. And so when we're pulling glitter off of a shelf at Michael's, we're, we're not sacrificing anything, right? We are not showing spirit that we are willing to do certain things in order to get what we want. You know, what we're saying is we would like to be very, very comfortable. And on top of that, we would like you to give me stuff versus I worked for this. I earned this, which I think is very important and something that we don't see much nowadays. These ideas of like comfort and you know, Britain just mentioned too, like, you know, not being afraid of the body, which is another kind of interesting mm-hmm. one where it's like, we want to be comfortable, but we also don't want to recognize that we actually have bodies at this point. So there's like this already, this like dissonance of like, cause you, can you be comfortable in a body? That's actually a really great question, especially as we get older, right? It's like increasingly, no, it turns <laughs> out. <laughs> I'm not that old. And I'm like, what is wrong with you body friend? Um, but that, that willingness to, to sacrifice is not just like unpopular. It's, it's like countercultural. Mm-hmm. Like we are like, it's not, it's like not okay to be willing to do hard things to get things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is something we're seeing a lot of these days. And I think that's really impacting um, witchcraft right now, because right now, you know, witchcraft is being so flooded by, you know, new people and whatnot, which we want to welcome, but also they're changing a lot of the narrative that has always been longstanding. And they're forgetting about these things because they're just simply, they, they want the aesthetic. They want to say things like, you know, I'm a witch and whatnot, but then also the, when it comes to actually do the work portion um, of it, the parts that are uncomfortable, the parts that are scary, uh, the parts where you really have to challenge your self and your nerve and your reserve that that's when we lose a lot of people i really do wonder what our witchcraft would look like if we knew people weren't watching us oh yes you know because the the internet i mean god bless the internet fucking love it it's wonderful that's how i have a job it's how i'm able to connect with you sarah and uj love it but at the same time, you know, we all know that it's instant gratification, it's instant information. And in the path of witchcraft, yes, you can get instant information about witchcraft on the internet, but the actual working of it in action, in praxis, is something that has to be done, perhaps when others aren't looking, or maybe it's something that you don't share. Maybe it's something that you keep secret, and there's power in that. One of the biggest shifts that happened for me over the past couple of years, it's funny, I was, for some reason it came up, Britain, I don't know if you remember, but like maybe three, four years ago, we did like a January tarot challenge together on Instagram. 
I remember the tarot challenges. Yeah. (laughs) Sida, do we remember when tarot challenges were the only thing on Instagram? Anyway, I'm glad we're we're all past that stage. I think mostly Um, that was exhausting, but I was, I was thinking, you know, that was a huge part of my practice for a long time. And a couple of years ago, uh, about it'll be two years ago this summer, um, the spirits I work with were like, you don't get to do that anymore. You don't get to read tarot for people right now. You don't get to teach this. This is no longer available to you if you want to continue doing your deeper work, doing mm-hmm. witchcraft. And, you know, that kind of forced me into a position where I actually don't get to share very much about, or I can't, or I don't have anything to share anymore in a way. Like I don't have cool spreads as much. I don't have like pretty pictures. It forced this like internal shift. And for me, that has been so powerful, but it's only because my, my external work, how I get paid in a lot of ways did change. My adventure, I am still a working witch, but I'm no longer like doing active, like witchcraft with people in the same way and spirit work the way that I was. It's in a, in a different communal business vibe now. Um, but I, I, I really resonate with that idea of like, I don't know if I would have been able to get to the place where I am now, develop the relationships with spirits that I have now, if I were in a place where the performance aspect was so critical to not only the, the validation, but also frankly, to my financial success. So I don't know, how do you guys balance that? Cause like the work that you're doing with people is like much, probably I imagine much closer to your actual practices. Mm. A little bit, you know, I really resonate with what you're saying there, because that's something that's kind of been occurring for me in the past, like, two-ish years. I kind of, like, felt hesitant to share a lot of my practices. I used to be extremely vulnerable on, like, social media or on my blogs. Like, I just pour my heart out. And then I, yeah, spirit kind of taps me on the shoulder, and they're like, hey, maybe not. Like, maybe you keep this private. (laughs) Maybe you like go internal for a little bit. Yeah, basically all of what you had just said. And it's been difficult to um, kind of like reconcile that with like my internet persona because we that's kind of what we are on Instagrams and things like that. We're just personas as we're as real as we try to be. But it's been a struggle because it's like I still want to share these things, but it's like, what do I share? How do I share it? And I'm still figuring that out. Absolutely. When it comes to the work that I do, I show the work that I offer up to clients most of the time. The work that I offer up to clients is very different than my own personal practice. So when I decided that I was going to actually start doing services, I had to figure out what specifically that looked like, how to illustrate to people what they would be getting, because I people would are expecting a very standard thing that they're going to be getting from me, you know? So if they're going to be, you know, getting a spell from me, I want to be able to show them, you know, what that looks like, have them know what that entails and have it not necessarily be like, Oh, like I'm going to go out into the woods naked and speak in tongues. They're not going to know what to do with that. But being like, I am selling you this novena candle that I'm going to burn for you. Then they're like, ah, I know what that is. I can see it. I can send them pictures of that. Um, So I I show on my Instagram the work that I do for my clients, which is like, you know, I'll do this kind of candle for you or that kind of candle for you, or I'll make you like a charm. Um, So that's the stuff that I'm very comfortable sharing just because that's something that I'm trying to advertise. But my my personal work is very different than that. And so that's kind of where the line is for for me. Like what I show what I'm willing to do for people and 
the stuff that I'm not willing to necessarily go out and do for others is stuff that I keep to myself. Mm-hmm. I, I like this. It's like boundaries. Yeah. Thing. What? Boundaries? Huh? What are those? <laughs> something, is there a spell for that? <laughs> something that people don't expect you to have when you are a working witch. <laughs> they, they don't right. love boundaries. No, they don't. No, Mm-mm. they don't. That is a conversation for another day, probably. <laughs> but as we kind of come to a close, because we also want to talk about the fact that Jay wrote a book, I feel like promotion and boundaries and writing a book is probably an interesting place that we can poke at for a second. Um, what was that like in terms of like what you were writing about and how that has to do, what that has to do with your own practice? And then, yeah, tell us about your book. So cool. Um, it, it all kind of goes together really. Um, I had been having people encourage me to write a book um, for a while. And honestly, it's something that I've, I've always wanted to do. When I was a little kid, people would ask me what you want to do. I would want to be a writer. I, I wrote books when I was a kid. Um, and people were like, well, you know, you know, you're, you're Mexican, you know, write a book on, you know, brujeria. And I'm like, I don't know brujeria uh, because traditional like old country brujeria is, is very secretive. It's very closed. And you have to like go to Mexico, like, find an actual teacher through just fate and destiny um, and then, you know, get them to teach you for years and years and years. That is not something that I have done. Um, And so I was kind of down on myself about that. Like, I don't know, maybe do I need to fly to Mexico? Do I need to learn Brujeria, you know, before I can actually, you know, write a book or, you know, what am I going to actually write about? And then I began looking around and realizing that I have a very kind of special way of working. And it's something that I share with my community, people who are Mexican American, um, which is kind of this weird in-between people. Um, and it's something I talk about in the book that we are, we are liminal people. You know, we talk about liminal spaces in witchcraft where two things meet. And as mm-hmm. Mexican American people, we are both, you know, Mexican and we are American. Uh, a lot of people flash back to that one scene in Selena where her dad is going, you know, we have to be more Mexican than the Mexicans and more American than the Americans because we don't fit in on either side. We're like this weird um, section in the middle in between. And we have our own uh, type of folk magic and Mm -hmm. nobody talks about it. And so through kind of trying to figure out what it is I wanted to write about, I realized that, you know, myself and people like me have a very uh, special way of working. And so that's when I decided to kind of write the book, but it, it took a lot of soul searching and brainstorming to figure out how exactly to talk about it, because number one, there wasn't really a name for it. So I, I coined the term American Brujeria because even though it's not the same thing as traditional brujeria, when you ask people who are Mexican-American, like, like, what do you call this, like, that you're doing here, you know, with your saints candles and your statues of Guadalupe and, like, you know, praying in Spanish, you know, like, what is this? And they'll kind of look at you and they'll go like, oh, it's just, you know, brujeria. And it's it's kind of a, almost a joke among us, but I wanted to separate what specifically it was that I'm talking about. When I went to write the book, I spoke to a lot of Mexican-American people, everyone I could find around me who either was from Mexico or had Mexican parents or, you know, was Mexican, but had been here for several um, generations. And the interesting thing is that when I'd sit down with people and tell them what I was writing and why I was interviewing them, they'd be like, you've got the wrong person. Like, I don't, I don't do any magic or witchcraft or anything like that. And I'm like, no, just hear me out. 
Like, you know, have you, you know, ever been to a curandero or anything like that? And then slowly they start to realize how much magic is just around us as Mexican-American people that we don't realize. We have all this stuff around us, things like, um, you know, uh, the direction that you sweep or things that you avoid when you're sweeping or things like that. There's all this superstition and magic and stuff that's around us that we don't even realize is magic until someone like me comes along and points it out to them. Um, so that was a very special kind of part of that process was kind of learning about not only myself, but my culture, and then also getting everyone else, or well, I guess not everyone else from my culture, but a lot of other voices from my culture who suddenly began to realize that this was a thing. But when is the book coming out and where can people find it? They want to go into this journey with you. It's being released May 1st of this year in 2021. Uh, this was coming up very quickly. Um, it's gotten some very nice reviews from some people within the uh, Mexican community, uh, which is very important to me. In the past, we have had some books on these topics being written, but they haven't been written by people who are actually part of the Mexican community, um, which is part of what makes this book really um, interesting. So we're getting a lot of great reviews from them. Um, the book can be found on Amazon. If you don't want to buy it on Amazon, it is available for pre-order. Uh, through bookshop.org. It's a little cheaper there and the money actually goes to help support small bookstores, which I really love. Um, so I do highly recommend that people uh, go there for pre-orders. We'll make sure we link that up in the show notes so people can easily hop over there and check it out. And then as we come to a close, I love just because I mentioned it at the beginning, it kind of came up, we talked about P, um, but what is Invoking Witchcraft, the podcast? Who should be listening to it? And where can people find that? Invoking Witchcraft podcast was an idea that I had because somebody put a pin in my ear. Those were your exact words to start a podcast, Sarah. Oops. <laughs> yep. Oops. Um, so I had just, yeah, I've been stewing on an idea to do a witchcraft podcast, but I didn't want to do it alone. And I was like, who else could I invite other, you know? It was Jay. Jay was the one. <laughs> so I sent him an email uh, one day and I was just like, hey, I have a business proposal idea for you. And you're the first person who came to mind. You're the person, you're like the only person I would want to do it with. And it kind of went from there. I know it was wonderful. And it was magic, like literal magic. The whole process of like getting our theme music, just like getting the podcast set up, like launching it because we launched our trailer uh, episode a couple of weeks ago and it's just been a success the whole way through and it's been really amazing yeah I mean yeah definitely I mean it 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 was amazing and when I she sent me a message on Instagram that was like hey I have like a business proposal thing for you like check your email and I'm like what could this be? And I go and I like glance for two seconds at the email and I'm immediately in her Instagram inbox like, yes, yes, we should do this. Because I had been thinking about it myself, but again, um, it's hard to find people to do it with um, that, you know, have the right chemistry, have the right fit. And it, it was absolutely perfect. And I think, I think it was meant to be. Yes, meant to be Aries gang. We're both Aries. So yes, Aries we just gang. vibe. 
Yes, it's a lot of hot takes on it. You know, we're very fiery. So we have some hot takes. Um, We have some uncomfortable truths for you, which is very nice. We are here to serve up the tea. Um, So anyone who who loves a good tea party will love it. Um, People who are really interested in in the very serious work of witchcraft, that's not... Um, we we tend to try and strip away the lens of what is trendy, what is, you know, really popular right now and kind of search for the truth, the meaning underneath it um, and the actual real work that goes into it. Mm-hmm. I, I love I love Aries so much. I'm an Aries moon, so I'm just like back oh, yeah. in the fire glow. I was going to say you can find us anywhere podcasts are broadcast. We will get all of that linked up in the show notes too. The trailer is out now. And when are you guys doing your full launch? March 3rd. March 3rd. But we have a teaser episode coming out in February. Right. Oh, uh, we, we won't tell. It is, a, it is a surprising teaser semi-secret that now you all know about. <laughs> we're not good at keeping secrets, Aries people. We're <laughs> like, we're going to tell you. We're just so What's <laughs> a secret. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we will make sure all that's linked up in the show notes. And whenever you are listening to this episode, make sure you head on over to Invoking Witchcraft. um, Because I think, yes, uh, real work witchcraft hot takes is probably exactly what we all need right now. I am so excited. I I love, I love, I love the hot witchcraft tea. This is going to be great. Where can people find each of you individually, your work? They want to they want to go down the rabbit hole and being like, these two Aries people are people I want to spend more time with because they're hilarious and they also um, don't pull any punches. You can find my website at archaichoney.com and you can view my shop there. I have a little shop called Blood Moon Botanica. And if you're interested in learning about witchcraft and foundational practices, you can go to praxisofthewitch.com and join my membership if you're interested. And you can find me on Instagram as well. My handle is at Oregon Wood Witch. And there you can find links to my little Etsy shop that I love to open. Um, I also have links to my Patheos column where I write uh, blogs about things happening these days in modern spirituality, um, as well as links to my book and everything else that you may want to know. Awesome. Yeah, because the internet allows us to all be connected. Internet is is magic. Um, Thank you both so much for coming today, uh, for giving me an excuse to talk about urine and blood and other things on the show. I don't always get to go there and I'm really, I really appreciate it. And I I thank you both for sharing your energy, your time and your knowledge with us today. Thank you. It was such a lovely chat. Thank you. We had a great time. And everyone else, make sure you go and check everything out that Jay and Britton talked about today. We hope you found this, I say, I'll speak on my own behalf. I hope you found this uh, enlightening and and supportive, even if we crushed a few of your dreams. Um, And uh, I will see you here next week. Bye for now. 